this unimaginable grace concept may not at first seem to really mesh with this parable. Here's the setup, right? We've got this lawyer who's really a scribe. He's a religious leader. He knows the law, not like a lawyer like in court, but a lawyer who has studied the law of God, knows it backwards and forwards. He approaches Jesus with a question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, as he loves to do, answers this question with a question. How do you read the law? Now, this person well-versed in the law, he knows basically to summarize all of the commandments into two, to love God and to love his neighbor. And Jesus says, you've answered correctly. You do this and you, and you live. And then Jesus launches into this parable to help describe who is a neighbor. The parable of the Good Samaritan, I think, screams in the face of those of us who are so self-absorbed in our own life, who maybe would walk through the journey of the Jesus adventure with our noses buried in our cell phones, unable to see the needs of our neighbors around us. The priest is on his way down the mountain from Jerusalem, where he's been serving his term at the temple, down into Jericho. Now, Jericho was where many of the priests lived. When it was their time and rotation to serve in the temple, they would journey up to Jerusalem, serve their time, and then when they were done, return back home. And this priest, he sees this person on the side of the road. And he has an internal dilemma going on. If this victim was a fellow Jew, then the priest would have been responsible to reach out and help him. But if that person on the side of the road was dead... Well, then the priest himself would become ceremonially unclean. He's just finished working in Jerusalem on his way home to Jericho. And if he touches this unclean man, becomes himself unclean, then he has to go back for a week for a rite of purification back to the temple in Jerusalem. And during that time, his, his family is unable to, to eat the, the benefits of serving as a priest. You get the, to eat the offerings, the sacrifices that are brought in, but the family and the priest must wait. Now, if this individual who has been beaten is not a Jew, he's a Gentile from some other country, then, then the priest is under no moral obligation whatsoever, whatsoever under the law to do anything about this. Now, the priest, weighing his options between being ceremonially unclean and having compassion, chooses to walk around. Then you have the Levite who comes after. The Levite probably has been serving with the priest the same term, and knows that the priest is ahead of him on this journey back to Jericho, how bad would it look if this, if this scribe helped somebody that the priest didn't? Right? It just makes the priest look bad. And by going first, the priest essentially gives the scribe permission to not do anything. And so the scribe just goes right on by as well. Now, in this kind of setup, in, in Jewish storytelling, when there's a sequence, you've got somebody like the, the priest, and then you've got a scribe, and then they, they'd throw in somebody else that, that was still religious but not professional, so like a, a layperson. But instead of that, what Jesus says comes next is like a, a bomb in the face of the hearers. It's not a good, devout Jew that comes next, but it's a, a filthy Samaritan vile 
half-breed. They study the Torah, but they, they get so much of God's relationship and God's laws incorrect. They don't worship at the temple. But a Samaritan. Now, now this is where the, the story really gets difficult for the lawyer to hear. Because it'd be one thing if a good, devout Jew took it upon himself to help a worthless Samaritan. Well, then that's a noble story. But to have the tables turned and it'd be a, a good Samaritan helping a wounded Jew, that's a bitter pill to take. The hero of this story is not a Jewish layman, but a hated outsider. All right, so I just took some time to explain a parable to you that all of you probably could have told me. It's common. We know it. But what's the meaning of this parable? What are we to take from it? And most importantly for today, where in all of this parable do we find an unimaginable grace? So option one, kind of straightforward. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, what do you read about the law? How do you understand it? Love God, love everybody, love my neighbor. Great, now do that. And you have eternal life. But who's my neighbor? And then the parable. And how do we understand this? Well, if we understand this as the Samaritan being this incredible example of how we are to serve, how we are to love our neighbor extravagantly, compassionately, Practice doing this over and over and over, Jesus says. Do it well. Don't just do it well. Do it perfect, and you will live. Does not sound like anything I've ever heard Jesus teach before in my life. It's works righteousness. Follow the example and live. If you do that, you don't even need Jesus. It's got to mean something more. Right, there's got to be more to this text. This text is filled with grace. Filled with grace. Number two, option number two. An answer to the question, well, who is my neighbor? Right, as a good, faithful, first century Jew, he expects Jesus to respond with a list that the lawyer hopes that he can manage. I want you to be, consider your neighbor, the priest. I want you to consider the neighbor, your scribes. I want you to consider your neighbor to be those Jews that live around you in, in, in harmony and faithfulness. But don't include those that I don't like. Don't include those that I disagree with. Don't include those that I hate, that I consider my enemy. Those are not my neighbors. And when Jesus expands this concept of who our neighbor is to everybody that we come across that's in pain, that's suffering, that's in need, regardless of their background, regardless of their religion, regardless of their creed, regardless of their race, to have compassion. Well, Jesus, that is something I, I cannot do, the lawyer feels. And if that's what I must do to inherit eternal life, then I'm doomed. There's got to be more to it than just that. Jesus reflects on this larger question, not just of who is my neighbor, but to whom am I supposed to become a neighbor, right? Not just the person who lives next door to me, but the person whose path I cross, who's hurting, that I don't know, but I must become a neighbor to them. So option three, I want to infuse some gospel into this. 
that we're not supposed to emulate the good Samaritan. That's not who we are in this parable. Who we are in this parable is the beaten, hurting man that's been robbed and left for half dead on the side of the road. That's who we are. This Jesus adventure thing is dangerous. Satan lies in ambush to, to ambush us again and again and again relentlessly. He comes only to steal and kill and destroy emotionally, physically, socially, spiritually. We are robbed of peace and health and relationships. And smiling, Satan leaves us to die. We've fallen into this pit of sin and we are unable to do anything on our own to overcome our injuries. The good Samaritan? Should be kind of obvious now, that's Jesus. He is filled to overflowing with compassion. When Jesus uses this word that he has, the good Samaritan has compassion on the man hurting, it's that word that we like to say in here, it's that Greek word, splagizomai, it's the compassion that you have in your gut that moves you to action. Jesus is a foreigner in this world. This is not his kingdom. This is the kingdom of Satan. This is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is eternal. And Jesus, from that kingdom of God, became incarnate, born into this world, as much of a stranger as any Samaritan ever had been. And this stranger, journeying into foreign territory, he sees us lost and wounded, close to death. And that's where that gut-level compassion kicks in. With his lavish grace, he binds our wounds, he soothes our souls, and carries us to a place of healing. The Samaritan man saw the injured man and felt compassion. Compassion led to caring action. Caring action led to continuing presence. And then the good Samaritan, when it was time to leave, promised that he would return. And Jesus has done the exact same thing for us. He's found us to be his lost sheep. He treats our wounds of sin through remembering our baptisms, through receiving his body and blood that we will in just a little while. He brings us into the inn of his church, this base camp of our Jesus adventure, where he calls, equips, sends, and restores us. And he's promised to return. That feels a little more graceful, doesn't it? But I want to take that grace and turn it into unimaginable grace. Because a part of Jesus' healing is that Jesus seeing us and having compassion for our wounds, being that robbed person on the side of the road, he has compassion so much, so, so unimaginable grace that he takes the place of us as the injured person. I mean, this, this injured man on the side of the road has been beaten, stripped next to death. Jesus himself was stripped, hung on the cross, beaten, mocked, abandoned, left for dead, and then died to take the punishment that we deserve. His unimaginable grace to be a stranger in a foreign land come, sent to find us and have compassion for where we are hurting and take us to a place of healing and in our place, he becomes that lost, injured, 
to the point of death so that he could restore us to a right relationship with the Father, to bring us into the end of this church. And then even more so, once he gets us to a place of healing, invites us to be just like him, to wander around with our eyes open, looking for those needs of the neighbors around us, to have the compassion that he has for them, to be moved to do something about it, to be a good Samaritan ourselves, but not, not for a sake of an example that we might be saved, but because we have already been saved, motivated out of joy to help save others. I really want to challenge you this week. I want to challenge you to be aware to be aware of those hurting people that are around you, regardless of whether they believe the same thing you do or not. To be aware of needs. And let that splagizomai, that compassion, well up in you. The compassion that God has for that hurting person. Maybe that hurting person is in your home. To have that level of care and compassion that drives you into action and presence. Maybe that person is at your work. To be able to have compassion for them and their need. And maybe it's someone in your neighborhood. Now that can be a little bit harder. For me, personally, when it's in my family, that's, that's intentional. It's on purpose. It's something that I want to think about. Right? When it's at work, honestly, I'm a pastor, so that's ridiculously easy. Because I'm supposed to do it. But not everybody lives in a place where it's safe to boldly proclaim what it is that you believe. To have compassion for someone who's hurting. I challenge you to find those people. In the neighborhoods, that's, that's both really, really easy and really, really hard. I've, I've, my house is like a tale of two neighbors. On one side, we have these amazing neighbors. They're a great Christian family. They're, their oldest is just a little one year older than, than Faith, and they've, they've got a, a bunch of little kids, and, and we love to get together. We both love to cook. We both love to eat. We love to be outside, uh, and, and they're just great, caring, good people. The other side is different. We've got a cultural barrier, barrier a language barrier. It's hard for us to communicate. We've had disagreements and seen things from different sides. So this week, it's been a challenge for me personally to view them, a non-Christian family, from a different country, with the eyes that God looks at them and sees. I've been looking and praying for opportunities for God to show me a way to be and show compassion to them. Maybe challenge you to do the same. And I challenge you to ask me next Sunday how I did. Not because I want to do this right to live, but because Jesus has let me live. So I want to do that. I challenge you to go and do likewise. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we, we love you so much. We praise you that you are the good shepherd who has found us wounded and dying continue for those who are hurting to bind up our wounds bring us calm and healing 
God, we praise you for this place of healing, this inn, this church that you have provided us. Allow us to continue to strengthen and heal and drive us out, God. Drive us out into the world to find others who are in the same condition. Not because we're afraid to not do it, but because we just can't help but do it. God, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.